Hey y'all, welcome to Carmichael Radio. This is a podcast about Carolina women's basketball. My name is Travis Lund, and I am here solo today. We will get to the UNC Greensboro game on the big show next week. Tar Heels did take home the win in that one earlier in the week. But I did want to drop in here. Uh, I am fascinated with the history of women's basketball. I think it is the deepest, richest, and most interesting history of any sport out there. And there is a fun story that happens to be particularly relevant to this weekend's coming matchup with UConn. Uh, Heels are heading up there to play the Huskies at Mohegan Sun. That will be 5 p.m. on ESPN. Or I suppose if you are a Tar Heel in the Connecticut area and you can get tickets, you should just go to that one in person. But anyway, I wanted to drop in here and give you a very interesting tidbit on what almost was in terms of North Carolina playing UConn. So I first came across this story reading Jeff Goldberg's book, Unrivaled. Uh, That's a story about the history of the UConn-Tennessee rivalry. I didn't think too much about it uh, when I was reading it. It's kind of the the intro chapter, the origin chapter, and uh, I was anxious to get to all the the sort of retellings of the game and the feuds and the what developed into some pettiness and rancor and all of that. Obviously, this is one of the most famous rivalries in all of sports. Um, so I didn't really think much about the first time those two teams met and how that came to be. Uh, it was only years later I was listening to the Off the Looking Glass podcast and one of the hosts, Kate Fagan, uh, retold the story uh with one of the participants, but had framed it as more of a what if, a hypothetical, a sliding doors moment, as she put it. And once she said that, I couldn't really get it out of my brain. And given that the heels are now about to face UConn, I wanted to take you guys through exactly what happened to generate the UConn-Tennessee rivalry and how Carolina factored rather significantly into the entire thing. So, uh, listener, bear with me here. We are going back in time. So it's 1994 in the summer in Bristol, Connecticut. We are at ESPN headquarters, and there is a woman named Carol Stiff. Now, Carol is a rather prominent and important figure in the history of ESPN, in the history of women's sports. Uh, She has pretty much done it all here. She retired a couple of years ago as the VP of ESPN Women's Sports Programming and Acquisitions. Over her time in the programming department at the network, she did everything. Uh, NCAA tournament, WNBA, uh, softball broadcasts, both the Men's and College Women's World Series, college football, She was in charge of a lot of the scheduling and programming for a great many things that ESPN has broadcast over the years. Uh, Carol played some college basketball at Southern Connecticut State University, also did coach briefly. Uh, She was a head coach at Rensselaer Polytechnic in New York and an assistant at Brown. She clocked over 30 years of programming experience at the Worldwide Leader, and was responsible for a number of important things, uh, not the least of which 
includes setting up the Yao Cancer Fund and what we now think of as Play for K Week in women's basketball, and also uh, helped found Jimmy V Week, which of course we are in the middle of this year and which will conclude on the day that Carolina will be playing UConn this Sunday. So at the time in 1994, Carol Stiff is in charge of programming the women's college basketball slate basically for the season for ESPN. And scheduling back then was not terribly different than what it is now. There were contracts between conferences for broadcasts. Uh, You know, we have X amount of ACC games, X amount of Big East games, X amount of SEC games, whatever. Um, And also some predetermined, uh, you know, okay, we are doing uh, two SEC-ACC matchups this year, that kind of thing. Um, So those contracts obviously had some wiggle room in terms of which teams were going to be included in which games and all that. Um, And it wasn't really... uh, as formalized as it is now for programming, you didn't really have to clear stuff with an AD or or make sure the SIDs were on board with all these announcements and stuff. It was a little more shoot from the hip in terms of if the coaches agreed to play the game and the network agreed to broadcast the game, well, guess what? We're doing the game. So anyway, uh, she's got a brainstorm of sorts, does Carol Stiff, while she is thinking about what to do for the upcoming 1994-1995 women's college basketball season. And that is to get together a marquee game, which would be played on Martin Luther King Day, 1995, that year, or that season, rather, that would have been January 16th. Um, For all intents and purposes, that day on the sports calendar would have been pretty much just that game. There would not have been a lot of note going on other than that. So she thinks, well, all right, let's do this. We can make a big deal of it. We can put it on ESPN. We'll get Robin Roberts on the call. Kids, uh, ask your parents how big a deal Robin Roberts was on the call for a game in 1994. So ESPN has all these broadcast contracts. And Carol Stiff starts looking through, well, now, who can I get? What will work here? So she casts her eye, um, not long, depending on traffic from ESPN's Bristol campus, down to Stores, Connecticut. There's a little up-and-coming program, and I do mean at the time up-and-coming. There were no national championships, yet UConn was not UConn. Okay? Remember, this is summer of 94. So she looks down the road, UConn has been on the ascent for the past couple seasons, had made it to the Elite Eight the previous year, which up to that point was the farthest that they had ever been in postseason competition. Uh, Obviously had a, still at the time, young and very charismatic coach out of Philadelphia named Gino Ariema. So she's looking over what UConn is going to be for the coming season. And basically, they're bringing back a core that had made the Elite Eight, including some names you may have heard of. Rebecca Lobo, Janelle Elliott, Carol Walters, and Jennifer Rosati, to name just a few. They were going to be stacked. So, she's thinking that this would be a good program to go ahead and put in this marquee game that she is marinating in her brain. Now, UConn being on the rise, and as I said, not what they were yet. She figures 
they won't say no to the game, right? If I call them with this pitch, they're they're not going to turn it down. So now we need an opponent. And so she's looking at some other marquee names, other big programs that have national relevance, maybe something to buoy things a little bit since UConn, you know, is on the come up, but not quite a, a household brand name yet. And we're looking for a team that they can play that'll really sell the matchup. And Carol Stiff decides to go for a national championship winning program. Located in the South, a program helmed by a tough old school coach, a coach with the kind of draw you only get growing up in a small Southern town, a coach who had played her own college ball in Tennessee but not the one you're thinking of. Now, if you're a Tar Heel fan, here's the part of the story you do know. A few months before Carol Stiff starts hatching the plan for this MLK Day game, uh, that would have been April 3rd, 94 to be precise, UNC is playing in the national championship game against Louisiana Tech. Now, for younger or unfamiliar listeners, Louisiana Tech is kind of the UConn before UConn, the Tennessee, before Tennessee, the OG dynastic program in women's college basketball, at least if we're going to talk about the post-Title IX era. So this was a big deal. This was a huge game for the Heels. They were playing a giant whom they were attempting to slay. And late in the game, Carolina is down two points. Game's winding down. There's a loose ball scramble on the floor. Refs blow the whistle and call the jump ball. Possession arrow in Carolina's favor. There are 0.7 seconds on the clock. Now, the first play the Heels tried to run is a lob for Sylvia Crawley. Uh, they never even got to inbound that. Latex defense uh, basically snuffed out the play before it began. And they could not get the ball inbounds. So head coach Sylvia Hatchell calls the team's final timeout. And as they huddle up there, Hatchell says, all right, we're going for the win. Forget the tie. She draws up a play to get Charlotte Smith open for a three-pointer. And it should be noted here, interestingly, that Smith was the player chosen. Uh, She was shooting about 20% beyond the arc that particular season. So Charlotte is in the huddle. Coach Hatchell's drawn up this play. And Charlotte is amped up completely understandably on nerves and adrenaline. And as they break the huddle, Charlotte has totally forgotten what the play is that Coach Hatchell just told them they were going to run. She later recounted this story a few different places, but uh, I really like her interview on the Carolina Insider podcast. Uh, She apparently had... A hurried and uh, whispered exchange with Sylvia Crowley as they were walking back to the floor that went something like, Hey, Siltog, wait, what are we running? Crowley told her what we're running. Smith said, Wait, why don't we call the play for me? But uh, there wasn't much time to think on it. Refs blew the whistle. The play design worked perfectly. Smith found herself wide open beyond the arc. Let fly and splashed home the game winner. Um, now it's important to remember here that this was 
This was a massive deal even beyond the world of women's basketball. Part of it was that Louisiana Tech had just been beaten. Part of it was the nature of the shot. This thing was broadcast everywhere repeatedly. It made the New York Times front page. It was a big, big, big deal. So North Carolina is riding high at this moment. And so the first call that Carol Stiff made looking for an opponent for UConn was not to Rocky Top or Pat Summit. It was to Chapel Hill and Sylvia Hatchell. So she calls, she makes the pitch, and basically says, hey, we're going to make this a huge deal. It's going to be on ESPN. Robin Roberts on the call. It's Martin Luther King Day. You're going to have basically the spotlight of the entire sports world all to yourself. We're really trying to make this a big, huge marquee matchup. And Coach Hatchell, of course, says, well, yeah, that that sounds uh, great. But, you know, I middle of January, we're going to be in conference play. We're going to have a lot going on. I, you know, I want the game in Chapel Hill. Now, this is where we go back to those TV contracts I was talking about earlier. ESPN did, in fact, have a contract to broadcast a Big East ACC matchup. However... The last two of those games had been played at ACC gyms, which meant that by the terms of the contract, this one absolutely had to be played at the Big East team's home site. Sylvia, quite understandably, does not want to drag her team up to Connecticut in the dead of winter, in the middle of conference play, to take on what everybody in the country knew was going to be a feisty squad. She's got a title to defend, right? So Carol Stiff asks her again, are you sure you do not want to play this game? Hatchell declines. So now we have an opponent still to find. North Carolina said no. So Carol Stiff decides that the next call is going to be to Knoxville, Tennessee. And it depends on which account you read here exactly who talked to whom next. In Pat's autobiography, uh, there is a section that makes it look like perhaps she and Gino had spoken about the game before Carol Stiff called her. Um, some of the other accounts, it seems like Stiff called her cold and just said, hey, we're trying to do this thing. Do you want this game? Um However it transpired, what we do know is that Summit eventually agrees to the matchup. Uh, She famously told Carol Stiff that she would do it for the good of the game. She knew that this was going to be a big deal, that this was going to be a marquee TV thing, and it was a great opportunity for national eyeballs on an unprecedented scale to really get a chance to watch women's basketball to to grow the game to make an impact on things so pat agrees now fast forward to martin luther king day 1995 tennessee is ranked number one yukon is ranked number two in the country so this is kind of working out just about as perfectly as carol stiff could have imagined here um and it turns out that UConn wins the game 77 to 66. 
Carol Stiff is over the moon about this, not because she was really pulling for UConn, but because it turned out to be a ratings bonanza. It was everything you could have hoped for. It was exactly what she was trying to do with this whole thing. The TV draw was massive, and the ratings were going to be massive. It was going to be a big point in advancing the women's game. And she's pretty over the moon about how this whole thing is playing out. And she happens to run into Pat Summit immediately after the game. Pat is standing there with a stat sheet in her hand looking over the game, obviously still fuming over the loss. And Carol Stiff said, hey, listen, I just thank you for coming to play this thing. It's, it's, you know, we're, the ratings are going to be phenomenal. This is really going to be an incredible thing for women's basketball. And Pat looked at her and repeated the line she had given her six months earlier on that phone call for the good of the game. Now, back to what I was talking about up top and having heard this the second time on that podcast with Kate Fagan. The interesting thing is that Kate was, of course, talking when she was talking about the what if and the sliding doors moment of all of this it was well what if we never got tennessee yukon does does yukon become yukon um does pat summit's legacy and what the lady vols did all those years how is that altered you know what what if that rivalry never happens what what is the upshot for women's basketball because obviously that was kind of the linchpin for so long and those are certainly valid and pertinent questions. But to me, sitting here, Tar Heel fan, the much more interesting question is, what if Sylvia Hatchell takes that game? Or what if the television contract had some wiggle room or language or whatever that they could say, all right, well, we, we can play that in Chapel Hill. Are we looking at the next 15 years after that day, after that moment, as Carolina UConn, as the preeminent rivalry in women's college basketball, it's important to note that not only was Carolina the defending national champion, had they been the ones playing UConn, this would have been a very, very juicy matchup because, as I said up top, UConn had just made the Elite Eight the previous year. It was the farthest they had ever advanced as a program up to that point. Who knocked them out in that Elite Eight game? Yeah, that was the Tar Heels. So you would have had this pre-made storyline of UConn looking for revenge against the team that had eliminated them the season before. And who knows what might have grown out of all of that. Now, maybe it doesn't change. Of course, UConn and Tennessee played for the national championship that same year. UConn won 70-64 on route to a perfect 35-0 season and kind of cemented themselves as to what they were going to become in the ensuing years. But I just think it's fascinating to think about how close we came, potentially, to Carolina-UConn instead of Tennessee-UConn what that might have looked like. And so I appreciate y'all listening. I just wanted to tell you that story because I find it absolutely fascinating and a really interesting thing to think about. Um, 
something I heard just today on the Carolina Insider podcast is that apparently this most recent matchup, the one uh, the Heels are going to be playing at Gamble Pavilion this Sunday with a return trip scheduled to Carmichael the next year, uh, Gino apparently wanted to do UConn's game at Gamble and the return leg in Greensboro, not Carmichael Auditorium. Now, you can, of course, argue, well, that's a coach just looking for any advantage that he could get his team. Uh, but I got to wonder, given everything we know about Gino that we've read, heard over the years in press conferences and in interviews and in every way imaginable, if he's not still mad that Carolina turned them down the first time, and if this wasn't some, some attempt, a little dig at maybe trying to get some revenge there. Um, so anyway, that's just a little button on this whole thing that that podcast just dropped today. Um, again, thank you all for listening. There were sources used for this podcast, again, unrivaled by Jeff Goldberg, which uh, if you're a Tennessee fan, uh, maybe don't read. Jeff was a longtime UConn beat writer who um, I really do think tried to tried to write this thing straight down the middle. Um, this book on the history of UConn, Tennessee, but didn't always totally succeed. Um, other sources off the looking glass podcast, which is uh, late lamented now, uh, but hosted by the great and wonderful Kate Fagan and Jessica Smetana. If you want some other stories and fun things about the history of women's basketball and are intrigued by it in the same way that I am, I, you could do worse than just going back to episode one of that podcast and listening to it from the jump. Uh, there is also hoop muses by Kate Fagan which is a book that details the history of women's basketball from its beginnings up to now. Um, I think Kate did an excellent job with it and did a very smart thing, which is that she included everything in these two to three page snippets so that you can really get the history in these easily digestible chunks. And then if you want to know more, obviously there are sources listed at the back of the book or you can start Googling or whatever, but if you're a women's basketball fan, I would highly recommend you pick that book up. It is wonderful. Um, also, obviously, the Carolina Insider podcast for both the interview with Charlotte Smith about that famous play and uh, the news we just got today about Gino trying to fudge these sites of the upcoming games a little bit here. Um, also, the Charlotte Observer for an interview they did with Charlotte Smith a little while ago. And Sum It Up, which is Pat Summit's autobiography uh, co-written with Ellie Jenkins. Anyway, I appreciate y'all listening. I hope you enjoyed this little trip down memory lane to a what might have been. And as always, go Heels. Y'all be well out there. Mm -hmm.